And once again, good morning. Well, again, for the sake of the new folks with us this morning, I just wanted to kind of bring you up to speed a little bit. Uh, we are currently in a, a series, which we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And in the course of this series, we've been trying to identify some of the false teaching that has entered into the church. Jesus warned us in the last days we would see a rise in spiritual deception. Paul said it wouldn't just affect people in the world around us, it would actually infiltrate into the church. Jude warned us, James warned us, Peter warned us, and John also. And so we want to be good soldiers of Christ. We want to contend for the faith. We want to really make sure that we're walking in truth, even as John said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Jesus prayed to his father the night before his crucifixion. The one thing that was on his heart so powerfully that night was, Father, keep them together, keep them unified, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we want to make sure that we are identifying the false teaching. Even as Paul did, he identified it, he named names because he wanted to make sure the church remained as pure as possible. And I want to just start this morning again by reading Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. And with that as an introduction, it brings us to our study this morning. And this morning we're going to finish what we started last week by focusing on psychology. Now, if you're new with us, what I've just said is like an atom bomb that just went off in your mind, psychology. You're lumping psychology in with false teaching and all this other stuff? Yes. In fact, I don't think you could get a better description of psychology than here in Colossians 2 verse 8. And yet, in spite of that warning, human wisdom and philosophy are making frightening inroads into the church today, as I have just said, under the banner of psychology. One author put it this way, in the evangelical church, there is taking place a mass exodus from the traditional land of biblical theology into the new promised land of psychology and psychotherapy. Churches that used to hire godly pastors to teach the word of God are now hiring psychologists. Men who would prepare themselves for the ministry by studying the scriptures are now studying psychology as a necessary prerequisite for the ministry, end quote. It is nothing less than Satan's attempt to undermine the sufficiency of the scriptures in our lives. And today, Satan has sown an insidious lie into the church, which has taken root and has grown up like an evil terror and is now choking the life out of the body of Christ. And that is that the Bible is no longer adequate to deal with the complex problems of today's world. It needs to be supplemented with psychology through the ministry of trained professionals. In case you haven't noticed, I have, there seems to be a, we all need an expert 
mentality in our society today and even in the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe it's being fueled by psychologists who have us all brainwashed into thinking that family and fellow Christians and spiritual leaders like pastors can't really provide people with the kind of psychological help that they need. These folks need professionals. Don't you understand that? They need an expert. And the church has been so brainwashed into this way of thinking and so intimidated by the experts who keep telling us the Word of God is not enough and pastors are not equipped to handle the problems that their people face in their churches that we must send them to the professionals. And so today... The church has become the largest referral agency in the world to psychologists and psychiatrists because, after all, we all need professional help. Well, let's take a look at some of these professionals for a moment. In his book, Beyond Seduction, author Dave Hunt reports on a gathering of these so-called experts, and let me just quote him. Back in the mid-1980s, 7,000 participants, 3,000 were turned away for lack of space, gathered in Phoenix, Arizona for the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference. Billed by its organizers as probably the largest gathering ever devoted to the practice of psychotherapy. This prestigious convention drew participants from 29 countries from all over the world. And one of the major features was the presence of psychology's remaining living masters, such as Carl Rogers, Rollo May, R.D. Lang, Joseph Volpe, Albert Ellis, Bruno Bettelheim, and Thomas Sass. That was the big draw. That's why I'm talking about this. Because those men were the remaining living masters at that time. I mean, these were the guys everybody else in the profession looked up to. And they were getting elderly. And it was the last time they would probably all be brought together for one convention. So this was the big draw. 10,000 people, 7,000 got in, 3,000 were turned away, showed up for this convention. Hunt goes on to say the huge convention presented a strange dichotomy. On the one hand was a shocking display of confusion and contradiction. On the other, in apparent blindness to the bankruptcy of their profession, there was the enthusiastic and competitive planning by participants of the expansion of their influence upon a gullible public that eagerly looks to them for answers which they obviously don't have. Los Angeles Times staff writer Ann Japanga reported, and I quote, The heroes were there to evaluate where psychotherapy has come in 100 years and where it might be going, except, she said, they really could not agree on either, end quote. Hunt goes on to say the convention failed to settle differences among psychotherapies, hundreds of rival sects, and bring some semblance of order to the chaotic muddle of literally thousands of conflicting therapies and theories. Three out of the four members of the prestigious panel on schizophrenia declared the disease was non-existent. Called by Time magazine, the favorite shrink of student rebels in the 1960s, R.D. Lang insisted that schizophrenia, and I'm quoting him, did not exist until the word was invented. Thomas Sass, who calls mental illness a myth because the mind being non-physical can't get sick, labels schizophrenia a fiction. He declared bluntly 
that while it was useful for parents of President Reagan's would-be assassin, which would have been Hinckley, of course, to think of their son as a schizophrenic, he's really just the bum, end quote. Hunt says the disagreements over schizophrenia were typical of the confusion and rivalry among the psychologists and psychiatrists. The entire field today is a nightmare of competing theories and practices that not only offer little real help, but are in many cases actually damaging, end quote. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know why they're saying this about schizophrenia. And if you're interested and it's probed you a little bit, maybe you should do some research. But apparently this, the, the professionals have some serious reservations about some of these diseases, including schizophrenia. Now, I'm convinced, folks, and this is just my opinion. I'm not saying that all supposed schizophrenia is spiritual in nature, but I think some of it is. And maybe a good part of it is. Is our society has moved away from God and more and more has moved towards uh, the occult and other things. And as people are dabbling in these things, I'm believing they're opening the door to demonic oppression. And I'll tell you what, people that are in the occult, after a while begin to develop where they hear voices and eventually a lot of them go insane or they commit suicide because, you know, the demons give you the power you want for a time, but then they pull you in and they eventually begin to cause you to, be, to self-destruct. R.D. Lang, again, one of the great masters who was at this convention said, and I'm quoting him, I cannot think of one thing that psychology has offered the human race of any benefit in the area of interpersonal relationships in its entire history. We haven't gotten beyond Plato, Aristotle, or Shakespeare, end quote. Dr. Joseph Volpe, another of the great masters who was there from Europe, said, and I quote, Who would have imagined that the evolution of psychology would have come to this, a babble of conflicting voices, end quote. And that's what it is, folks. It's psychobabble. That's all it is. Again, R.D. Lang at the same conference said, In my current bout with depression, now, I don't know if R.D. Lang is still alive, but if he is, I don't think if you're depressed, you want to go see him. In my current bout with depression, I have found something more beneficial than anything psychotherapy has to offer. Are you sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this? I hum a favorite tune. And what was Lang's favorite tune? Keep right on to the end of the road. Yeah, it's called the broad road. And Jesus said it leads to destruction. And you know what? It would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. The millions of people who are putting faith in men and women like this to give them answers for life's deepest problems when these people don't even have the answers to their own lives. And like the Pied Piper, they're following these people all the way down the broad road to hell. Carl Rogers, who has impacted our society in the Church of Jesus Christ as much as any person ever has, old Carl got a standing ovation before he even said a word. Carl Rogers is in, was in contact with spirits through seances. This is the man who got in touch with the spirit of his dead wife through a Ouija board. You see, they had had a long and happy marriage, but during the last five years of her life, she developed cancer. And when she needed him most... He abandoned her for another woman. And then when she died, he felt tremendous guilt, which he should have. 
So to relieve that guilt, he tried to get in touch with her spirit through a Ouija board. And apparently, he, well, he thought he did. But she comes on through the Ouija board and she says, Carl, Carl, be free, be free, enjoy. And Carl said, at that moment, a great wave of release swept over me. All the guilt was gone. Well, he didn't come to Jesus Christ to have his sins forgiven and his guilt alleviated. That same Carl Rogers later ended his own life through assisted suicide. Many of these psychiatrists and psychologists are in contact with the spirit world, especially those in the humanistic and transpersonal branches of psychology. But I want to just explore a little more this, this notion that only these so-called professionals are competent to help us with our problems. Jay Ziskin, a psychologist with Cal State University System, said, and I quote, a psychiatric diagnosis is more likely to be wrong than right, end quote. And yet we've been brainwashed into thinking that these folks have the answers. Why? Because they're, they're professionals. They're the experts. A psychologist from Stanford University several years ago put several of his friends up to a little scheme. You see, they all got themselves admitted into different psychiatric hospitals around California because they claimed that they were hearing voices and had other classic symptoms. And once they got into these hospitals, they couldn't get out. The patients in those psychiatric hospitals recognized them immediately as phonies, but they couldn't convince the doctors they were phonies. There was one psychiatric hospital in California that heard about this, and they said, okay, you couldn't fool us that way. And so these folks said, all right, over the next six months, we're going to send you an indeterminate number of patients, and then we'll see how well you do. It threw that hospital into chaos. Doctors were arguing amongst themselves, I think he's a phony. No, I don't think he's a phony. At the end of six months, they came up with 28 patients that they thought were phonies. All right, how many did you send? Zero. <laughs> they can't even tell the difference between sanity and insanity. Then you need professional help? Fifteen years of research went into Bernie Zilbergeld's book, The Shrinking of America, Myths of Psychological Change. In an interview, Zilbergeld held himself, a clinical psychologist, pointed out, and I quote, A survey of seven medical specialties by medical economics found that psychiatrists came out on top in more categories of marital problems, including sexual problems, than practitioners of any other specialty. Anyone who keeps company with counselors knows that no matter what they may be like with their clients, in their personal lives, they are no freer than others from pettiness, depression, poor communication, power struggles, anxiety, bad habits, and other difficulties, nor are the organizations, departments, or clinics that they run, end quote. In fact, they lead all other professions in suicide and divorce, and as a profession, more psychologists seek out psychologists than any other profession. So we have psychologists going to psychologists to get answers and to help with their problems, and they can't even straighten each other out. And then you need professional help. After his years of research, Zilbergeld warns, and I quote, one of the most consistent and important effects of counseling is a desire for more counseling. And it is no longer unusual to meet people who are looking for a therapist to resolve problems caused in a previous therapy. 
he goes on to explain why professional help is not the answer. There is absolutely no evidence that professional therapists have any special knowledge of how to change behavior or that they obtain better results with any type of client or problem than those with little or no formal training. In other words, most people can probably get the same kind of help from friends, relatives, or others that they get from therapists, end quote. And you know why? Because time does heal most wounds, right? I mean, when you talk to people about some difficult things you're going through, and you get people to listen, that's a tremendous help, isn't it? Just to be able to kind of vocalize and verbalize what you're going through. That really helps in the healing process. And that's free. <laughs> As opposed to paying 100 or 120 bucks an hour to have somebody sit and listen to you when you do most of the talking anyways. Psychotherapy has been called a talking cure. And you do most of the talking and pay a hefty price to do it, to have somebody listen. So don't say, well, I know people that have gotten help from going to psychologists. Of course. Because, again, time heals wounds. And if people listen, it helps to share what you're going through. The sad thing about it is in the body of Christ, we don't want to listen to each other anymore. So we have to pay people to listen to us. That's the sad thing. According to a Time Magazine article titled, Madness in Their Method, it says, and I quote, Everyone knows that a good deal of psychotherapy does not seem to do well. What everyone does not know, says psychoanalyst Robert Langs, is that a common factor in failed therapies is the madness of the therapist. The average consumer of therapy is likely to be influenced by the emotional problems of therapists. Many patients are more damaged by their therapist than they realize, and some actually end up seeking out one disturbed therapist after another, end quote. Like thousands of others, Dr. Carney Landis of the Psychiatric Institute of Columbia University found himself much worse after psychoanalysis. His analyst frankly admitted to him that, and I'm quoting the analyst, the analytic procedure would create a neurosis in any really normal person, end quote. So these are the so-called professionals that we hear so much about, that we all look up to and esteem so highly. Now, where do they get this, this golden knowledge that we all must have, you know? I mean, because they're so above us, and here we are down below, and we just need their wisdom. Where do they get all this knowledge from that they dole out to us? This expert knowledge that we all have to have to be normal. Well, the major theories come from Sigmund Freud, who, as I've already said, gave us a couple of myths psychic determinism, and the unconscious, both of which form the basis of all inner healing. Psychic determinism basically says that everything that you are going to be as an adult is already determined in your psyche by the time you're about five or six years of age. So everything you're going to grow up to be is already been programmed into you by the time you're five or six. The unconscious basically is the theory that all the hurtful experiences, all the emotional pain that we incurred as little children before the ages of five and six have been deposited in this unconscious of ours, which is a, a kind of an emotional toxic waste dump in all these things. And of course, we forgot all these experiences. They're repressed memories, but they're there. 
Make no bones about it. And the reason you're such a mess today as an adult is because all of these things are working in your unconscious to make you the basket case that most of us are. That's why we need professional help. Now, the sad thing about it is Christian psychologists have also bought into this and are telling their Christian patients the same thing. And I've heard it. I've read it. You are being driven by unconscious urges and forces that are making you do the bad and hurtful things that you're doing, but it's not your fault. It's not your fault. These things are the result of traumas that you suffered in your past. You're not responsible. You're a victim. Maybe your mother didn't change your diaper quick enough (laughs) or feed you fast enough when you were just a little infant and you were crying, Mommy, you know. Or maybe you had an exceptionally traumatic birthing experience. And so that kind of programmed into you something that now drives and compels you to act the way you're acting. It's not your fault. You're just a victim. And so you have Christian psychologists because of this mentality. You have Christian psychologists who have their patients practice primal screams where they dress them up in baby diapers, put them in adult-sized cribs and have them rolling around and sucking a bottle and cuddling a doll and screaming, Mommy, Daddy, I hate you because they've got to go back into the past and get in touch with the hurtful experience that kind of tipped the scale and, and brought them into this traumatic condition that has made them what they are today. Where in the Bible is that laid out for us? One guy was telling me one time about a group he was in, like a Christian group with a Christian psychologist running it. And there was a young gal there who was a Christian. And she was having some anger issues toward her mother. And so in a group setting, they were all sitting around in a circle. At one point, the Christian psychologist took a big pillow and put it on a chair in the middle of the room, gave her a stick and said, now imagine that's your mother and just beat it until you get all that anger out. You know... The Bible says that we are to forgive, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Oh, but I can't. No, you won't. Don't complicate what God has made simple. Yes, you will forgive, or no, you won't forgive, but you don't need psychotherapy. You don't need eight, ten weeks of counseling Either you're going to forgive because Jesus Christ has forgiven you, or you're going to hold on to that and God will deal with you, not to mention all the the physical problems that you will reap from all that internalized bitterness and unforgiveness. But there are as many different schools of Christian psychology today as there are secular schools. Christian psychology runs the entire gamut from hypnosis to gestalt, to primal screams, etc. And it's just absolutely incredible to me that the church has bought into these empty, vain philosophies of men who are destitute of the truth. Ungodly men, atheists, occultists, who are giving us counsel that we are eating up in the church. Even though the Bible clearly says, blessed is that man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but meditates in the word of God day and night. Now, psychic determinism and the unconscious are simply watered-down, westernized versions of karma and reincarnation. Freud's theory that it was the prior years of your life that have made you what you are is simply another version of prior lives have made you what you are, which is karma. 
And do you know where Freud got these theories, psychic determinism, the unconscious? He got them from his patients when he hypnotized them. Because remember now, his thinking was everything that has happened, I mean, everything that you are is attributed to something that happened in your past. So he hypnotizes patients and regressed them back into their childhood to try to find the source of all these psychological problems. And let me just stop there for a second and just say this. I don't know if you realize this, but hypnosis is right out of the pit too. Do you know that hypnosis has been practiced in the occult for thousands of years? And there is no way that you can say, if a medical doctor hypnotizes you, it's okay. But if an occultist hypnotizes you, you've got problems. The demons don't play by those rules. They don't care who hypnotizes you. If you allow yourself to be put into an altered state of consciousness where the hypnotist can control your mind, don't you think that other entities can control your mind as well? You have opened yourself up to demonic manipulation and deception. And through hypnosis, you can not only be regressed back into your childhood, as Freud did with his patients, but you can take them all the way back into the womb and come out with factual memories of the birthing process in spite of the scientific fact that the myelin sheathing in the brain of the prenatal natal and early postnatal infants is not sufficiently developed to carry memories. So where do the memories come from? They come from the same place they come to when you regress them right on through the womb into prior lives, and they come up with factual data of lives they've lived all over this planet. And you realize that the reason that you have such a fear of water is because in the 16th century you were a pirate. <laughs> and they made you walk the plank, and ever since then you've had a terrible fear of water. Or the reason that you're having problems sexually with your husband is because in a prior life you were raped. And they will give to you, through hypnosis, factual information about places where they've lived all over the earth, places they've never been to in this life, people that they've run into or known, events that took place, and I, get, I guarantee you, you can check it out, and it's all true. They've described the places to a T. They've described historical events that they would not have known any, any details of in total accuracy. They've even talked about people that they knew. It's all true. You're either going to come away believing in reincarnation or you're going to come away believing in deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I mean, I, th I hope everyone here in this room realizes that demons have been around since the beginning of time. They were in ancient Egypt. They were in Greece, ancient Rome. They were in colonial America. And it's no big deal for them while a person is under hypnosis to feed their mind with factual data of events and people who lived hundreds or even thousands of years ago and make it seem that they're, this is all coming from prior lives that they lived all over the earth. I mean, that's not hard for demons to do. And you know, it's the same thing that they do when a medium is supposedly contacting the spirit of a dead loved one. I watched this guy on TV one time. Real famous medium. He was doing a group reading. Had about maybe 15, 18 people in this room. And he was doing this, getting in contact with the spirit realm. And he says, there is a spirit named David. He says that he died in a 
car accident. <gasps> you see the pan the audience and you see this husband and wife shocked. And they say, well, how do we know it's really David? Well, David wants you to know that when he was nine years old, you went on a family vacation, he fell down and got a scar in a certain part in his leg and nobody else really knew it was there. It was kind of in a, in a hidden spot. And, and, and of course, it was exactly right. Or they come up with other factual information about a husband or a wife that has died. Things that nobody else would have known about except for that person. And you're listening to this, and I'm, I'm looking at these people. My heart is breaking. They're weeping. They're shaking. They're so, I mean, because they're talking to their dead loved one again. It's all demonic deception. The demons were there. They know what happened when you were nine years old on your family vacations. They know what took place behind closed doors between you and your spouse. And they can feed that information to a, through a medium to get you away from the truth and pull you down a path of occultism and deception. But I've digressed. L let me get back to where I started. Modern psychology shifted into high gear under the practices of such professionals as Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. Carl Jung was a heavily demonized occultist, and his psychology is far more influential than Freud's. A lot of Freud's theories have been rejected by modern psychology, but Carl Jung, his psychology and his theories were far more influential and have impacted our society and the church in ways that you can't even imagine. Carl Jung grew up in a haunted house. I think I've told you this. Where the poltergeist activity was so intense that his mother kept a daily journal of the spirit activity. She grew up in a similar house. Her father, who was a master mason and a Protestant minister in Switzerland, her father had to have her, Jung's mother, hold the spirits at bay long enough each week for him to write out his Sunday sermons. Carl Jung's thesis was written on this subject. He was involved in seances. He was an apostate. He turned away from the faith. He rejected Christianity. And the Bible that Carl Jung carried with him wherever he went was the Bardo Thodal, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the very book that Timothy O'Leary used, or Timothy Leary, I should say, used as his guide when he wrote Psychedelic Adventure. Carl Jung wrote the introductions to the first translations in Western languages of some of the occult books from the East, the early translations on yoga, Zen Buddhism, and Hinduism. He was heavily involved in all of that. Jung was the apparent heir to Freud's throne. He was younger than Freud, and Freud had hoped that by having Jung take over as his successor, it would broaden the acceptance of his theories. The problem was that Freud didn't believe in religious experiences. In fact, even to this day, one of the things that a Freudian psychoanalyst has embedded in their mind is that if you believe in God or are religious, at very least you're neurotic and probably psychotic and need to be delivered from this delusion. But Carl Jung was different. He talked about spiritual experiences. That's why he's the champion of the church. That's why so many Christians admire him. As a matter of fact, you would be shocked to know how many seminaries around this country, if you were to walk into them today and go into their bookstores or into their library, you'd be shocked. They're full of books by Carl Jung. And when Jung and Freud first met in 1909, they had a little argument about this. 
Because again, Freud didn't believe in spiritual experiences. And, and Carl Jung, who is what the parapsychologists today call a poltergeist person, that is a person that has had spiritual activity happen in his presence, what we would call demonic activity. He said to Freud at one point, look, I'll demonstrate it for you. They were standing near a bookcase, and Jung said, look, you're going to hear a loud shot come out of this bookcase, and bang! And Freud, the great master, fainted. <laughs> the second time they met, Jung made even worse things happen, and again, Freud fainted dead away. And when he came to, he accused Jung of harboring a death wish against him. Freud had an obsessive fear of death. Folks, he was a basket case. The man was sick. He was demented. Freud's theories were founded upon his warped view that everything we think, feel, and do have their roots in sexual desires. His so-called discoveries reflect his own perverted sexual fantasies and obsessions. He lusted after his own mother. And this gave rise to his theory that all adult male problems can be traced back to childhood fantasies of a young boy's sexual desires for his mother and feelings of jealousy toward his father. He was a cocaine addict, among other things. He thought cocaine was a cure-all. And his best friend died from a cocaine prescription that Freud gave to him. Even though he was a medical doctor, he couldn't look at a corpse. He couldn't even go to a funeral. He had an obsessive fear of death, as I've already said, and he accused Carl Jung of harboring a death wish against him, which Jung himself came to believe when, in a dream, he killed the Wagnerian hero Siegfried, which he interpreted to be Sig Freud. The man who popularized dream interpretation was Carl Jung. Now, I don't know how it is today in the bookstores. I really don't peruse too much in the Christian bookstores. I get aggravated. So... But a few years ago, some of the hottest sellers were books on dream interpretation. And a lot of them go back to Carl Jung. Now, after the first service, somebody said to me, but what about dreams? Doesn't God give dreams sometimes? Yes, absolutely. And, and God has done that in the Bible. And if God gives you a dream and you believe that it has spiritual significance, you ask God to show you what he intended for you to understand through it. But you don't have to go to books by Carl Jung to try to figure it out. So Jung had this dream. And he came to believe he, that, you know, he did have a death wish against Freud. And after that dream, Carl Jung, for the next six years, teetered on the brink of insanity, facing what he realized was a total psychotic breakdown. During this time, he was in, he was in communication with demonic entities. He was having all kinds of mystical experiences. He even claimed the Holy Spirit visited him in the form of a dove. It was also during this time that he picked up his spirit guide Philemon, Philemon the demon, as we have already said. And out of this psychotic milieu of occultism and mysticism, it was at this time he received the revelations from Philemon that became the basis for his psychological theories. He enlarged Freud's unconscious to the collective unconscious, which comes right out of Hinduism which is the very lie we have been studying through this series. From deceiving spirits, he learned about archetypal images and contacted the, the dead. You can still read his Septem Sermon, his seven sermons to the dead. He believed that he was called to talk to the dead. It was his calling. 
This is the man that is honored in the church. This is the man whose theories are taught in our seminaries, in Bible colleges, in universities, next to the Word of God because the Word of God isn't sufficient. It needs to be supplemented with the teachings of men like this. Folks, can you see what's going on here? Psychology is not some new truth that God has saved for this day in which we lived, as if he saved the best for last, as some think. It's not like the wine that Jesus produced at the wedding of Cana, when the headmaster of the feast said, you have saved the best for last. It isn't like that. Psychology is not some new truth that God has kept for our day, because we need it to be well and well-adjusted and fruitful Christians. No, it's the same old lie that Satan fed even the Garden of Eden, that Paul warned us would infiltrate into the church in the last days. It's just been westernized. It's been given a pseudoscientific facelift. Folks, again, let me just say this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If psychology isn't part of what Paul prophesied was going to infiltrate into the church in the last day, if this isn't part of the lie, because deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, it's all about the lie. Not a lie, the lie. The one Satan told even the garden, the one that Paul warned us about in Romans 1.25. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, the lie of the Antichrist, but it's already at work in the church today even. And if this isn't part of the lie, the great deception that Jesus warned us was coming, and Paul said would infiltrate into the church, would you please show me what in the church fits that description? What teaching in the church fits the description of what Paul said would come into the church in the last days if psychology and the other things we've been talking about, visualization, inner healing, positive confession. I mean, if these aren't part of the lie that Paul warned us about, will you please show me what fits that description? Because I think we all believe in this room we're in the last days. Let me just close by saying this. And I'll just quote to you from something God said to the prophet Jeremiah, lamenting over the condition the spiritual condition of his people in the Old Testament. Listen to what he said in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have carved out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what a cistern was? A cistern was a man-made holding tank to hold rainwater. Now, of course, to have a fresh source of water like a spring or a river or a stream nearby, that was always more preferable. But sometimes you didn't have that luxury. You were in an area where you didn't have that. You needed water to water your, uh, your uh, olive orchards and vineyards and to drink with. And so what they would do was they would carve out of the limestone a cistern, and it would have an opening, ground level, of course, just big enough for the person 
who was carving it to get his shoulders through because he had to go into it and just keep carving it out, carving it out until it was deep enough and wide enough to hold the amount of rainwater that he wanted it to hold to do whatever he needed to do with it. It took a long time, right? A very long time to carve by hand. No pneumatic tools, no, you know, air-powered chisels, all by hand. It took months and even years. And when finally he got this thing done, after months and months, he would then carve channels on top that would lead to the mouth of his cistern. And then he would pray for rain. And I'm sure that when the rain first came, when he was all finished with this and the rain first came, he was so excited as he heard the water dripping into his cistern, you know, just running in. So he went to bed that night. Next morning got up, wanting to go to his cistern and draw out a cup of water. He lets down the thing and here's it hit a dry, stony bottom. He looks in. It's empty. What happened? Well, limestone sometimes develops a very fine hairline crack in it. He didn't know that. He had spent all this time carving this thing out, a cistern, but it was a broken cistern. It couldn't hold any water. So what do you do with it? You got all this man hours into the thing, all this effort. You know what they do with it? They've carved stairs along the side leading down and shelves on the sides of it, and they used it for a tomb. And folks, that is a very apt description of what we see going on today in the area of psychology. God said, my people have forsaken the sweet, living, life-giving waters of my word and are going to the polluted wells of this world to find answers for their life's problems, but they're broken cisterns. They can't hold any water. And the people of this world who are putting their trust in things like psychology, well, it's going to wind up being their tomb. There's no life there. And if they don't forsake it and come to Jesus Christ, they're going to die in their sins. Folks, I think it's time for we as the people of God to stand up and say the king is naked. What do you mean? <laughs> you remember the story, right? Of the king who wanted a new set of clothes? So a couple of con artists got a hold of the king and said, Look, we're going to make you the finest set of clothes you ever saw, but we want you to know one thing. We're going to make it out of magic thread. And only the very wise and intelligent will be able to see these clothes. And so as the king would go and see how they're doing with his clothes, and they would have it, pretend like they're working on it, and the king didn't want to seem like an idiot, and so he said, well, that, oh, that looks really nice, you know. And Yes, what do you think, your majesty? Look at how beautiful. Yeah, that looks good. Well, finally one day the king, you know, they said his suit of clothes was done. He tries them on, standing in front of the mirror. All his advisors are standing around. They're all ooing and eyeing. Oh, what a beautiful set of clothes. Oh, it's fantastic, because they didn't want to look like idiots either. So they decide to throw a parade for the king. And he parades himself, you know, walking down the street, and the crowds are lining the streets, and they're all ooing and eyeing. And one poor idiot on a corner says, looks at the king and says, the king is naked. Well, at the risk of looking like a poor idiot, I'm going to say the king is naked. There is nothing here, folks. Now, I'm not saying that people haven't been helped by going to psychologists from time to time. As I've already said, time does heal wounds. And there are many psychologists who are very decent people 
Christian and non-Christian. And they do really want to help people. And they have a measure of worldly wisdom. And they do give some good input. There's nothing spiritual there if you're going to a secular psychologist. But they can give you some good, solid tips on how to you know, make some changes. And people have been helped. That doesn't mean that an average Christian or a pastor couldn't give you those same little insights and tips. But people have been helped. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that overall, there is nothing there for us to look to. Out of the mouths of their own professionals, they're, they're admitting there's nothing here. What are we doing jumping on the bandwagon when the world's jumping off? And that's the problem with the church. We tend to buy, we tend to, to buy high and sell low. We tend to, to, to jump on the bandwagon just about the time the world is jumping off. And don't we look stupid? We ought to be leading the way and telling the people of this world, that's ridiculous, don't waste your time with that. That's vain philosophy and empty human wisdom. Come to the word of God. It'll make wise the simple. God knows what you need. God made you. Focus on the word of 